Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. And we are getting closer and closer to the end of the season already. We're already over halfway through. I know, it's so crazy. Like, this has gone by so quick, and um, I'm kind of (laughs) happy. This is already episode 49. Thank you guys who have been listening from the beginning, and everybody else who has caught up since then. That's amazing. Um, We just want to remind you, we do have some new episodes up on the Patreon, too, if you're interested. It's $3 a month. And um, our latest episode on there is related to this season. It's about the Luby's Cafeteria shooting. And it's a good one. So Yeah, that for sure was a doozy. Um, Very interesting. You should go listen, for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Um, On my side of the world, I just wanted to... um, I guess it's a shout out, but it's kind of like a like a cool thing that happened. So I am in the true crime obsessed podcast like group that they have, and you know if you guys are in any of your podcast groups like Morbid, Crime Junkie, all that stuff, some people on there you know ask for like recommendations for podcasts, and we actually made it on a list that um, one of their group members made and i thought it was really cool it's awesome we're on there it's, and it's they have a little exciting. e without our name for explicit because <laughs> we're explicit bitches but yeah no i was <laughs> so surprised excited. to see how many were not explicit and i was like god are we like alone on that forefront that is weird <laughs> i mean like three talking, or four <laughs> i know i'm like we're talking about true crime like i feel like no matter what you say like it's cussing every now and then is not <laughs> it's not that bad like on top that's of the only adequate way to get the case like across to everybody like it just it wouldn't to me it doesn't feel right not cussing i mean it's just who we are but um yeah. i just thought that was really funny yeah yeah <laughs> i think it, that's super dope um that we're on there so i'm so excited i mean i know it's not like a major major deal or whatever to some people but i think that's so cool that we're making it on these lists slowly but surely it's it's a big deal to us so thank you yeah whoever put that on there thank you thank you it's (laughs) um actually it's called it's on uh i guess it's like link tree maybe Uh l-i-n-k-t-r dot Mm e-e at down bitch rex (laughs) and it has like true crime podcasts paranormal slash horror podcasts true crime books slash visual media organizing podcasts by x y and z um and then like favorite they do like polls for uh people's favorite episodes on the podcast so yeah definitely yeah, it's but cool. don't don't like go there to find other podcasts. Like that's not no, no, that's no, not no, no. Work. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can that's stay not, right that's here. Not our point. <laughs> You're one of us now, so. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> and today's a jazztastic episode. It so. sure is, and it's not going to be joyful. I mean, they never are, but I uh, I can't wait to get over get over with this thing because it was really sad, and yeah cool i'm ready for it tell me all the things all right everybody so today i am bringing you the story of the virginia polytechnic institute and state university shooting otherwise known as virginia tech shooting um all right so this happened on april 16th 2007 in blacksburg virginia And um, for those of you who are not in the United States, that is on our East Coast. And that's actually, like, right above North Carolina, where we're at. Yeah, pretty pretty close, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So all of the events that have taken place that we'll be talking about, only they happened between 7.15 in the morning and 9.51 in the morning. So it wasn't too short, but it wasn't too long. and our perpetrator's name i didn't bother trying to figure out his name because i don't like him so i'm gonna mess it up um i'm gonna say soong hugh cho but we're gonna call him cho (laughs) i thought you meant that you didn't look up his name at all i'm like wait a minute what (laughs) 
Nope, sure did. Mm-mm. You made I did not want to know his name. Them. I don't want to memorize it. We'll call him Cho because that's what they call him in all the um, the reports and everything that I read. So Cho is 23 years old, um, and he killed 32 people, and he injured 17. Um, let me get back to that. Yeah, 17 people, which um. 27 of the 32 people that were killed were students and five were faculty members. And um, just really quick, uh, in the 17 that were injured, they were either injured from gunshot wounds or um, because they tried to jump out of windows. Oh, wow. This is a college, right? Yeah, sorry guys. You know, you know I'm bad about the trigger warnings. I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, I know. I'm terrible at that too. This is a college, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. Okay. Yep. It's a university, college, whatever. Um, so um, this was actually known as one of the deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history until 2016 when it was surpassed by the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida, which was, which killed blah, 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 which had a killing of 49 people, which we already covered. Yes. But yeah, it's very sad. Yes, and the biggest one before is actually that Luby's Cafeteria, which you guys can listen to on the Patreon. So, we've hit all our bases yes. with that. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely. Alright, so, um, so I'm going to kind of follow the same format that I did with um, Sandy Hook. I want to talk about the perpetrator first, and then we'll go into the nitty-gritty details um, about what actually happened. So, um, here's a little bit about Mr. Cho. He was born in South Korea in 1984. He became a U.S. resident, a permanent U.S. resident in 1992, which he was only in third grade. Um, At three years of age, he was described as shy, frail, and wary of physical contact. In eighth grade, Cho was diagnosed with severe depression as well as selective mutism and anxiety, which is an anxiety disorder that inhibited him from speaking in certain situations and or to specific people. Oh. Um, let's see. If I'm breathing really heavily, I'm sorry, guys, because your girl can't <laughs> breathe. I just ate a shit ton of food, and I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> um, so Cho's family sought therapy for him, and he received help periodically throughout middle and high school. Um, And supposedly in high school, um, the officials had worked with Cho's parents and mental health counselors to support him throughout his sophomore and junior years. But Cho eventually chose to discontinue therapy. When he applied and was admitted to Virginia Tech, school officials did not report his speech and anxiety related problems or special education status because of federal privacy laws that prohibit such disclosure unless a student requests special accommodation. Hmm. Um, yeah, when I heard that, I, I mean, I get it in a way. I just feel like that should be part of their record. Like, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know. I, I mean, I don't know how that stuff works, but interesting. Right. Um, So numerous incidents of aberrant behavior beginning during Cho's junior year um, that illustrated his deteriorating mental condition um, were like, I guess, like he was writing some things that were very disturbing to um, and some of his former professors like actually like witnessed it. Like they were actually able to read some of his writings and he was actually encouraged to seek counseling from those professors. He was also investigated by the university for stalking and harassing two female students while he was there. Yeah. And in November, 2005, he received the first of several consultations with the university's counseling center and in Dece- on December 13, 2005, Cho had been declared mentally ill by a Virginia special justice and ordered to seek outpatient treatment after making suicidal remarks to his roommates. Mm. Wow. Okay. He was, yeah, he was actually evaluated at Carillion St. Albans Mental Health Facility and diagnosed with a mood disorder. Um, so yeah, unfortunately there's a lot of like mental health issues going on that were just basically untreated. So it seems like people were like encouraging him, but nobody actually intervened. Is that right? 
Right, pretty much. Okay. And, you know, of course, you know, he's like, he's dealt with it all his life. He just didn't want to get the help that he knew he needed, basically. Right. Well, and you can't help somebody who doesn't want to help themselves. Exactly. So, yeah. So, okay. yeah, that's definitely. Um, that's pr- honestly, that's pretty much all the information that I really got on him. There wasn't like an uber amount of it. This is just the basics of it. Mm hmm. Um, So, in 2007, when the shooting happened, he was actually a senior who was majoring in English. So, now what I'm going to do is we're going to go through the timeline of events. So, February 9th, 2007, he picks up a Walther P-22 pistol he purchased online on February 2nd from an out-of-state dealer at JND Pawn Shop in Blacksburg across the street from Virginia Tech. Okay. In March 2007, he purchases a 9mm Glock pistol and 50 rounds of ammunition from Roanoke Firearms for $571. So he clearly was able to get through a background check with that. Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. And um, so that was that first part. Now, a little bit about the shootings. The shootings occurred in two separate incidences, the um, or incidents. The first incident was in West Ambler Johnston Hall, a resident hall where Cho killed two students. And then the second incident was in Norris Hall, an academic building on the opposite side of campus were the other 31 deaths, including that of Cho himself, and all the non-lethal injuries occurred. So uh, why did he pick, like, were those buildings, sorry, you might not know the answer to this, but, like, are those buildings that he was, like, an actual student in? Like, why those two buildings? So I believe the Norris Hall he was an actual student in. Um, the West Ambler Johnston Hall, we're actually going to get into it, um, okay. like, why he actually started there. Um, but that's kind of just like an overview. Okay. Um, so yeah, he used two pistols during the attacks, the 22 caliber Walther P22 semi-automatic handgun and the nine millimeter, um, Glock 19 handgun. So the first, um, part I want to talk about is the West Ambler Johnson Hall. So he was seen near the entrance to West Ambler Johnston Hall, a four-story co-ed residence hall that housed 895 students at about 647 in the morning. Normally, the hall is accessible only to its residents via magnetic key cards before 10 a.m. Cho's student mailbox was in the lobby of the building, so he had a pass card allowing access after 7.30 a.m., mm. but it is actually unclear how he gained earlier entrance to the building. I feel like it wouldn't be that hard because people are going to class, and so, like, you're not going to be an asshole and, like, close the door to people who are walking there. Like, I feel like that's a really easy way to get people in. You just hold open the door for the people who are walking toward it. Right, that's what I was thinking, like, maybe he's seen somebody, like, going in, and he kind of, like, shuffled to get there, or maybe they saw him and just held the door open for him. Right, I feel like it wouldn't be that hard to get in there. Yeah, definitely. So, at around 7.15 a.m., Cho entered the room that freshman Emily J. Hilscher shared with another student and shot Hilscher a 19 year old who was a 19 year old from Woodsville, Virginia or Woodville. Sorry, I can't talk. Um, Virginia, um, and fatally wounded her. Um, and actually in the early reporting on this case, it was said that the killings resulted from a romantic dispute between Cho and, um, Hilscher, Hmm. one of who is one of his first two victims. Um, Believing that it was a domestic homicide and that the assailant no longer lived in, no longer was in the area, the university did not undertake security measures or notify students of the shooting for more than two hours. Wait a second. So hold on. So he went into that building, he attacked her and then left? Yes. And they didn't, so, they didn't yeah. do anything? Well, no, no, no. So he he killed, he shot her, and then um, there's actually another student we'll talk about in a second who he shot as well. Oh, my God. Okay. Yes. So, um, and, you know, in regards to the, you know, security, you know, not notifying these kids in more than two hours, um, whenever, um, 
actually, you know what? I'll wait for a second for that one. Um, after hearing the gunshots, a resident assistance assistant, a 22-year-old senior, Ryan C. Clark of Martinez, Georgia, attempted to aid Hillshirt. Cho shot and killed Clark. So that's his second victim. Oh my God. Okay. Hillshire remained alive for three hours after being shot, but no one from the school, law enforcement, or hospital notified her family until after she had died. Are you serious? Yep. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Unfortunately. Um, so a little after 7.15, after he shot and killed or shot both of them, um, police are notified in a, in a 911 call that there are at least two shooting victims at West Ambler Johnson Hall. So when, um, you know, the police were notified, they were actually unaware of the gunman's identity. They, and they initially pursued um, Hilscher's ex-boyfriend or no her boyfriend as the suspect in what they believed to be an isolated domestic violence incident so they didn't even think it was anybody else they just automatically assumed it was her boyfriend okay i mean i mean obviously he should be a suspect but i mean okay yeah okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so after this um Cho left the scene and returned to his dorm room in Harper Hall. It's a dormitory west of West Ambler Johnson Hall. While police and emergency medical service units were responding to the shootings in the dorm next door, Cho changed out of his bloodstained clothes, logged onto his computer to, de to delete his emails, and then removed the hard drive. About an hour after the attack, Cho is believed to have been seen near the campus duck pond. Although authorities suspected Cho had thrown his hard drive and mobile phone into the water, a search by divers was unsuccessful. Okay. Um, almost two hours after the first killings at 9.01 a.m., Cho mails a package containing video photographs with him holding various weapons and writings to NBC News in New York, which NBC doesn't receive it until two days later due to an incorrect address on the package. Why did why did he do that? Oh, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Oh God! Okay. <laughs> the, the fact that he took the time to literally stop. And go to his dorm, change, get all his, delete his emails, get his hard drive, do whatever he did with it, and go mail a package like that is insane. I can't even imagine what the hell was in that package. Okay, hit me right. with it. <laughs> I know. So at nine twenty six a.m., the school sends out an email statement that a shooting took place at West Ambler Johnston Hall earlier that morning. Yeah, like two hours earlier. Maybe you should consider that there's an active gunman potential. Never mind. Go ahead. No, I know. Sorry. I know. That's it's infuriating. Yeah. It really is. So that was West Ambler. It was, you know, short, unfortunately. And um, here we are at Norris Hall, at the Norris Hall shooting. So about two hours after the initial shootings, Cho entered Norris Hall, which housed the engineering science and mechanics program, among others. Okay. In a backpack, he carried two guns, which was the 9mm handgun and the 22 caliber handgun, several chains, locks, a hammer, a knife, two handguns, well, the two that I said, with 19, 10, and 15 round magazines, and nearly 400 rounds of ammunition. Wow. Okay. With the locks and chains, he chained the three main entrance doors shut and placed a note on one saying that attempting to open the door would cause a bomb to explode. Oh my God. Okay. Shortly before the shooting began, a faculty member found the note and took it to the third floor to notify the school's administration. At about the same time, Cho had begun to shoot students and faculty on the second floor. Hmm. The bomb threat was never called in. Why not? I could not find why. Wait, how much time was there between the bomb threat being received and the shooting? So, um, it really didn't even specify. Um, 
like how long. Now, I did find a timeline, which I tried to plug it in based off of all of my resources that I've used. Mm-hmm. Um, so, honestly, there's really, I didn't find anything between, like, when the teacher read the note and when it was placed or anything like that. Okay. I'm trying to, like, think, like, benefit of the doubt. Like, maybe. Just maybe. Yeah. It, like, there wasn't. I don't know. I feel like that would be an immediate thing that you did. I don't know. Go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. Let's see. Let me actually go back a little bit. So, okay. So, like, 9.26 a.m., that's when the school sent out. um, So, 9, actually, 9 in the morning, that's when he mails the package to NBC. 9.26 is when the school sends out an email stating that the shooting had taken place in the other hall. Okay. Um, And then, so this next part... um, this is when the first 911 call is reported. That's between 9.42 and 9.45 in the morning. Okay. So, like, what? Like, 30-ish minutes? That's a between long time. That. That's a very long yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. The first call to 911 uh, was reported a, uh, or, sorry, reported a second round of shootings in classrooms at Norris Hall, the engineering, science, and mechanics building. At least 32 students and faculty are killed. According to several students, Cho looked into several classrooms before the shooting began. Aaron Sheehan, an eyewitness and survivor who had been in room 207, told reporters that the shooter peeked in twice earlier in the lesson and that it was strange that someone at this point in the semester would be lost looking for a class. Hmm. Yes. So, actually, you know what? I got my timeline kind of messed up. So, actually, about 9.40 a.m. was when he began shooting. Okay. Okay. So, um, his first attack after entering Norris Hall occurred in an advanced hydrology engineering class taught by Professor G.V. Loganathan. He was from India in room 206. Now, remember, the kid who was just talking said he was in room 207. Okay, so right next door. So, yeah. So, 13 registered students were inside room 206. Cho first shot and killed the professor, then continued firing, killing nine of the 13 students in the room and injuring two others in the classroom. Mm. He also shot at one male student but missed him. Did he know anybody in that classroom? Was there any um, talk about that? No. From what I understand is he didn't know any of them. That is so bizarre. Okay. Yeah. So um, then uh, he he then went across the hall and went into room 207 where instructor Jamie Bishop was teaching introductory German. Cho shot at a student, then Bishop and 10 to 15 others, killing Bishop and four students. Six other students were wounded and two others survived. Cho then moved on to Norris 211 and 204, where he was initially prevented from entering due to barricades erected by instructors and students. In room 204, Professor um, Librescu, a Holocaust survivor from Romania, forcibly prevented Cho from entering the room. Wow. That professor was actually able to hold the door closed with his body until most of his students escaped through the windows. He died after being shot through the door. What a bad bitch. That is amazing. That person is a hero. Definitely. One graduate student named Manal Panchal was one of the 23 registered students who died in his classroom. Two others were lying in a corner. Uh, and were injured but survived. Mm. The injured students who were in the room described that after most of their classmates escaped through the windows and after the armed aggressor shot through the door, he finally forced his way in. Upon seeing the open windows and hardly any students in the room, he turned to the two students who, taking cover and critically injured them. Sorry, (laughs) I totally fucked up that sentence. He turned to the two students who were taking cover, and he critically injured them. And right before he retraced his path, he fatally shot both students, Panchal and Professor um, Labrescu, at point-blank range before leaving. Oh, my God. 
In room 211 of intermediate French, instructor, uh, instructor, talking is hard. (laughs) So sorry. (laughs) Instructor Jocelyn Couture-Nowak and student Henry Lee were killed as they attempted to barricade the door while the professor yelled at students to get down on the floor and under their desks and call 911. Unfortunately, Cho pushed through the barricade and entered the room. For a distraction, a student named Matthew Laporte was a trained Air Force ROTC cadet, charged toward the gunman and wrapped him in a bear hug, but died after being struck seven times in an attempt to save lives. Wow. And um, quick side note, Laporte was um, awarded the Airman's Medal for his actions in 2015, which was accepted by his family at his gravesite in Blacksburg. Oh my God, that's so sad. He deserves it, it but that's Definitely. so sad. Yeah. According to the Virginia Tech Review Panel's report and student Colin Goddard, 11 of the 16 students died in room 211, and the six students who survived all who suffered gunshot wounds, including um, Goddard and Christina Anderson. Um, One survivor, Clay Violand, stated that he played dead and escaped without injury. Hmm. When in doubt, play dead. Like, if that's at all possible, that's the only thing I've learned this season, is if it's possible, play dead. I I call call me a coward. I don't care. I'm going to play dead no matter what. Now, the only thing with that is, like, if we have, like, gunmen who, unfortunately, are smart and start shooting at just bodies on the floor. I know that's terrible to think of, but still, I would still play dead. hmm For sure. Uh, yeah. So, um, hearing the commotion from below, Professor Kevin Granada took 20 students from a classroom on the third floor into his office where the door could be locked. He then went downstairs to investigate along with another professor, Wally Grant, until they were both shot by Cho on the stairwell. Grant was wounded and survived, but Granada died of his injuries. None of the students locked in Granada's office were hurt or killed. At 9.50 a.m., a please stay put um, email was sent out to notify the students that a gunman a gunman is loose on campus. At 9.55, university officials send a third message about the second shooting via email and text messages to students. Um, Cho reloaded and re-entered several of the classrooms while carrying out the attack, not saying a single word. After his first entry to room 207, several students had barricaded the door and he'd begun tending to the wounded. When Cho returned minutes later, Caitlin Carney and spokesperson Derek O'Dell were injured while holding the door closed. Cho also returned to room 206. According to a student eyewitness, the movements of a student named Walid Shalan, who was already wounded, distracted Cho from a nearby student after the shooter had returned to the room. Shalon was shot a second time and died. Why was he returning to the rooms? Like, was he looking for somebody? I I don't know. I think he, I honestly, after everything that I've read, I think his intention was just to kill everybody. Anybody moving, anybody he saw, he was just, he just wanted to kill everybody. That's insane. I, I don't, I don't see a motive here. I don't see, like... As far as the one with Emily at the beginning, there had to be something more there, but there's just not enough information as to what kind of relationship they had. Okay. But everybody else, I'm, I, I just feel like he just wanted to cause mass mayhem and chaos. God. Okay. Yes. So, um, uh, also in room 206, wounded student Guillermo Coleman was shielded from more serious injury by having the body of student Partahi Lumben-Turin placed on top of him. But Coleman's ver- various accounts make it unclear whether he pulled his, the other student's body over him 
or this was the involuntary result of that student being shot a second time. Ooh. Yeah, that, that's a tough one right there. That's, that's really tough. Um, in room 205, students barricaded the door with a large table after graduate assistant Haiyan Chang, who was substituting for the professor, and a student saw Cho heading toward them. Cho shot through the door about seven times, but failed to force his way in. No one in the classroom was wounded or killed. Approximately nine and a half minutes later, after the second shooting began, police started to enter the building. They broke down the chain, locked doors, and went up to the third floor, but heard a girl named Emily Haas, who was wounded and survived in room 211, which was the French class, saying that the gunman was in her classroom as she stayed on the line. So she actually managed to call. Um, and really quick, I do want to um, go, I want to read like her call because um, okay. it's super short. So that's right here. Um, so she was actually, she was crouched under a desk and um, she called for help as her friends and classmates were shot and killed around her. So um, this is how it starts. She whispered, we've been hurt. And on the other end of the line, Virginia Tech Police Lieutenant Debbie Morgan could hear gunfire that was so loud it sounded as if someone was shooting right into the receiver. Oh, my God. Where are you? The officer asked. 211 Norris Hall. I can't talk. Keep yourself safe, Lieutenant Morgan said. We're sending people. Please hurry, the voice whispered. He's in here. I just got hit. Oh my God. And that's it for that little call. Um, so, yeah. Also, that was so, 2007. I mean, I did not have a cell phone in 2007. Did I have one in 2000? I did have a cell phone in 2007. I'm just thinking, was, like, not everybody did, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say because it was literally just a little flip phone. And it was only because, like, I was in middle school and I was going to stay home, like, after school by myself until my parents got off. Right. But, yeah, not a lot of people did. Right. So I'm just thinking about, like, you know, they're sending out, like, now, um, you know, universities. And they, you said, like, they send out, like, text messages and, you know, the emails and stuff like that. People aren't weren't glued to those things in 2007. Like, you didn't have constant access to all of that. So they may have, like, sent an email and sent a text message to everybody that said, you know, hey, stay where you're at. Can you imagine how many people did not read that, didn't have access to that. Right. My other thing too, is if you remember like when cell phone, the cell phones first started getting popular, like they used to charge you for text messages. Right. So like, you'd be like, Oh, I got no money to read that. So I'm not about to read it. Right. Exactly. I don't and need a school text message. I always ignore that shit. Exactly. Or like a school phone call or anything like, and then at that time, like you couldn't really, you couldn't check your email on your cell phones. No. You had to actually go on a computer. Yeah, there, I didn't have internet on my first cell phone. I only had text and call. I did. I did, but, like, I would be with this. I would accidentally hit it, and then I will have to hit, like, the back button, like, ten times. Because I was scared that that little <laughs> second charge, that charge. I hit it, yeah. it would charge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that, I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think about. Like, it just hit me when you were talking about this 911 call. Like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people didn't make that call. Not everybody had a phone. Right, right. And, you know, I'm so, you know, we're lucky but horrified to be able to just get this one little call and from what i when i like tried to research more 911 calls this is literally the only one i can find hmm. i wonder how many people ended up calling i mean because realistically i mean how many could have i don't know right exactly exactly and all the phones that would have been in like classrooms and stuff like that were all attached to the wall yeah so and they're probably by the door or something right like yeah. so that that's just a interesting okay anyways yeah definitely um so at 10 16 classes are obviously canceled um as police started to descend the stairwell cho had already begun to hear the footsteps he stood in the doorway of room 211 and just as police reached the second floor shot himself in the temple with the glock 19. Mm. He died instantly. That's not fair. When, right. I fucking, I cannot. I, fuck, I hate that. So many of those um, people suffered. 
and I just hate that he had the quick death that he wanted for himself. Exactly. That irks like, me. That's a coward. <sighs> that right there is just so fucking it's just rude. Like, fuck you, bro. <laughs> yes, we can it call is. it rude. I'm good with I don't that. Know. I don't know how else to describe Excuse it. Excuse me, like, sir. <laughs> can you not be so rude next time? <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. It's, it's, not, not, it's, it's not funny, funny guys. No. We just need something to I laugh need at. It's just bullshit. Uh, <laughs> I know. Fucking rude piece of shit. Anyways. So, um, when police arrived at room 211, they saw Cho lying on the ground right in the door's path, in which some students who were either injured or playing dead heard the officer's first words, gunmen down. During the investigation, State Police Superintendent William Flaherty told a state panel that police found 203 remaining rounds of ammunition in Norris and later testified that the armed aggressor was well prepared to continue on. 233? Where the hell is he keeping this shit? Those are yeah, those I are handguns. You have like max 15 bullets in a magazine. I'm gonna say I don't I wonder if like maybe he found like an empty room somewhere in Norris Hall and just put all his shit there. I mean, that's crazy. There's no way he could have been carrying that. Because, like, you know how they show those things in movies where, like, I mean, they exist in real life, too. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I've never seen one in real life. Um, where it's, like, basically, like, a vest where you have just, like, bullets all the way down it and stuff like that. And you yeah. have, like, 30-round magazines. Yeah, yeah. Like, that doesn't exist for a Walter or a Glock that's small, That, to my knowledge, for those small bullets. So yeah, like you, know, but, you know, somebody he could have gotten in contact with like a MacGyver person. Remember, Israel Keys used to make all these like souped up guns, like You're little right. handguns and shit. Like he could have found somebody like that. You're right. I don't know. This guy just doesn't really seem like he was um, smart enough to do that. And I'm going to also say that because he just recently purchased these guns. So it's not like he had that much time with them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But I but I don't know. I'm just I'm just I, 233 rounds is a lot of ammunition to have on your body. 203. 203, whatever. It's a lot of ammunition <laughs> to have. Anything it, more than 10 is a lot. I mean, seriously, I'm thinking like, you know, if he has like 50, I can be like, okay, that's reasonable. That's, you know, that's a little box. You can even if he's just going to keep like refilling it, which would take forever instead of just having like a backup magazine, like it just whew. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's a, yeah, that's he, a lot. I wouldn't want to carry around 200 bullets. No, fuck that. And he that doesn't want to be weighed down. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's a crazy, I just wasn't expecting that high of a number, sorry. No, you're fine, you're fine. Like I said, I'm always glad that when I talk about guns, you're there. That way you can, like, give me more info, because you know I don't know jack shit about guns. <laughs> well, just just as a reference point, I mean, just, like, if you hold a box of um, 9 millimeter bullets, it holds about, there's usually 50 bullets in a box. I mean, you can buy a giant one, but it weighs a couple pounds. Okay. So, and that's without it being in the magazine. And it's, you know, it takes a minute to load a magazine. So I can't imagine that he was doing that as he went. But also to have a bunch of extra magazines costs a lot of money. So I can't imagine that he did that either. But um, I'm just thinking, like, it's clunky. Like, where the fuck would he have put it? Times how many? Times four boxes. Not even including the bullets that he's already shot. Right, like, exactly. What, what did he do? Did he just walk around with six boxes of bullets in his pants? Like, like that would be really awkward. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't. That's just mind blowing to me. How, like how people can be so prepared, and it's not like they have those. And like I said, they might have those straps, and I'm just unaware of it. Like they do for rifles that are like those giant bullets, but for little small ones, they usually don't. Anyways, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So. Now, um, sorry. <laughs> um, during the two attacks, Cho killed five faculty members and 27 students, like I said earlier, um, you know, before he committed suicide. At 10.53 a.m., students received an email about Norris Hall shooting with the subject line, second shooting reported, police have one gunman in custody. The Virginia Tech Review Panel reported that Cho's gunshots wounded 17 other students and Professor Grant. 
Six more were injured when they jumped from second-story windows to escape from, from Professor Lebreski's classroom. At 12.42 p.m., Virginia Tech President Charles Steger issues a statement that people are being released from campus buildings and that counseling centers are being set up. He announces that classes are canceled again for the next day. Sidney J. Vale, the director of the trauma center at Carillion Roanoke Memorial Hospital, said that Cho's choice of 9mm hollow point ammunition increased the severity of injuries. Wow. 28 of the victims were shot in the head. Oh, God. April 17, 2007. This is... Now, all, all the dates that I'm going to talk about now are just the days following months and um, actually a couple years from that. So that's basically it for the shootings. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a doozy for sure. So on April 17, 2007, Virginia Tech Police announced that they have been able to confirm the identity of the gunman at Norris Hall. That person is Cho. He was a 23-year-old South Korean here in the U.S. as a resident alien. April 18, 2007, NBC News announces that they received a package containing pictures and written material, which they believe to be from Cho, sent between the two shootings. Cho rambled and was at times incoherent, expressed anger, and claimed, you forced me into a corner and gave me only one option. The decision was yours. He referred to Virginia Tech students as brats and snobs. And he also talked about martyrs like Eric and Dylan, which were the Columbine shooters. Mm. No clear explanation for the shooting was offered and officials found the material to have little investigative value. Great. Cool. So, yeah. To answer your earlier question, there is no answer as to why, why he did this. I just don't, I don't get it. I just don't. Right. This is ridiculous um, how many times we have to go through this conversation over and over again where we're like, well, okay, but why? And there is but, no why. Like, how is there no why but this many people are dead? Like, how is that a thing that we keep talking about? It's insane. It's, it's like they get up and one day and they're just like, yeah, I'm just going to shoot all these fucking people in, in the face. Like, what? I just, I can't even... I don't even know where to start my thought. <laughs> I just... Right. Oh. I know. It's it's tough. Um, so, in August 15, 2007, it is announced that the Hokie Spirit Memorial Fund, funded by private donations, will donate $180,000 to the families of each of the 32 victims. Those injured will receive $40,000 to $90,000, depending on the severity of the injuries and a waiver of tuition and fees, if applicable. Wow. Yeah. I March mean, it doesn't 24th, fix it, but that's, at least, I mean, it's kind of nice that they got free tuition out of that. No, definitely. For sure. Like, it's the least that they could have done. I yeah. mean, I know it's not their fault, but still. It doesn't, I mean, it, didn't, it doesn't fix anything, but I mean... Yeah, that was a good effort, at least for yeah. those who. I mean, I, no amount of money can fix those who were deceased, and of course, the people who are hurt are you know traumatized, and it could affect them for the rest of their lives in some way, shape, or form, whether it be mentally or physically. But at least the school did something. Exactly, exactly. So in March twenty on March twenty fourth, two thousand eight, the state proposes a settlement to the families related to the shooting. In it, $100,000 is offered to representatives of each of the 32 people killed and another $800,000 is reserved to those injured with a $100,000 maximum. Expenses not covered by insurance such as medical, um, psychological, and psychiatric care for surviving victims and all immediate families are also covered. Mm -hmm. April 10th, 2008. Governor Tim Kaine announces that a substantial majority of the families related to the shootings have agreed to the $11 million settlement offered by the state. It isn't clear how many families have not accepted the deal at that time, 
This settlement will pay survivors medical costs for life and compensate families who lost loved ones. By accepting the settlement, the families give up their right to sue the university, state, and local government in the future. Neither the attorneys representing the families nor the governor would discuss the exact terms until final papers are drawn. Okay. Um, let's see. And sorry, I just lost my place. Here it is. Um, April 10th, 2008. Um, actually, I just read that one. Sorry. June 17th, 2008. A judge approves the $11 million settlement offered by the state to some of the victims and families of those killed in the shooting rampage. Um, families of 24 of the 32 killed, as well as 18 who were injured, are included in the settlement. April 10th, 2009, Norris Hall reopens. The 4,300-square-foot area will house the Center for Peace Studies and Violence Prevention, which relocated to the building. Um, December 9th, 2010, the U.S. Department of Education releases a report charging that Virginia Tech failed to notify students in a timely manner as prescribed by the Cleary Act. March 14, 2012, a jury awards $4 million each to two victims' families who sued the state for wrongful death. The jury finds Virginia Tech failed to notify students early enough following the discovery of two shooting victims at West Ambler Johnston Dormitory. The families of Aaron Peterson and Julia Pride argued that had officials notified students and the staff earlier of the shooting, lives might have been spread. Or spared, sorry. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Spared. Um, the Peterson and Pride families did not accept a portion of the $11 million settlement between the state and the families of victims, opting instead for suing for wrongful death. The amount is later reduced to 100000 per family. Um, the, on October 31st, 2013, the Supreme Court of Virginia overturns the jury ver verdicts in a wrongful death suit filed against the state by the families of the two victims that there was no duty of the Commonwealth to warn students about the potential for criminal acts. So, um, January 21st, 2014, the court denies a request by the Pride and Peterson families to reconsider its ruling. April 2014, Virginia Tech pays fines totaling $32,500 to the Department of Education for violation of the Cleary Act, a law requiring colleges and universities to provide timely notifications of campus safety information. I mean, I can't believe that that's that, that recent of a... <laughs> so I said like that like 10 times in a row. Um, I cannot <laughs> believe that that is a recent thing like that's kind of that's kind of hard to believe exactly that just 10 like i mean even 10 years ago like we didn't have that safety yeah. i mean that's yeah wow it's insane um also a side note of uh, virginia governor tim kane notably signed an executive order that closed a loophole which allowed people who were declared mentally ill to still purchase guns however other gun control proposals, notably um, background checks on those purchasing guns at shows, were unsuccessful. And in the ensuing years, Virginia passed several laws that increased gun rights. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's my little side note about that. Um, also, there was... Um, a nice... There was, like, a little bit of information about... Um, the South Korean response after all of this happened. Oh. Um, so in a response as to everything that happened, um, South Koreans actually held a candlelight vigil outside of the U.S. Embassy in Seoul, South Korea. South Koreans felt guilty and mourned because they considered him a South Korean, or Cho, sorry, they considered Cho a South Korean by blood, even though he left Korea, South Korea in the third grade. Um, South Korea's ambassador to the U.S. and several Korean-American religious leaders called on Korean-Americans to participate in a 30-day fast, 
one day for each victim for repentance. Wow. Repentance. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot talk. Sorry. <laughs> um, Foreign Minister Song Min-soon announced that the safety measures had been established for South Korean citizens living in the U.S. in an apparent reference to fears of possible reprisal, reprisal attacks. I don't know how to say that word. Um, uh, a ministry official expressed hope that the shooting would not stir up racial prejudice or confrontation. The Korean, uh, the Korea Tourism Organization pulled its sparkling Korea television advertisements, saying it would be inappropriate to air the ads featuring images of South Korea's culture and natural beauty in between the news reports of the rampage. Wow. Yeah, that's that's intense. That is. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of impressed. I know, right? Um, so yeah, so there's that. So now I just want to go through the victims, um, and their names and, you know, show them some respect. So, um, the first two are Ryan Clark, 22 from Martinez, Georgia. Um, he was a senior, um, and a major, he was majoring in English, biology, and psychology. He was the resident assistant on campus, also in the Marching Virginians College Band, which was, and he was also known as the Stack to Friends. Uh, okay. Uh, huh? That, that's quite a nickname. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I know, right? Um, and then we have Emily Jane Hilsher, 19, from Woodville, Virginia. She was a freshman and majoring in animal and poultry sciences. Okay. Um, and so here we have Ross Alamedine, um, Alamedine, sorry, 20 from Saugus, Massachusetts. He was a sophomore, um, and majoring in English and he died in the French class. Dr. Christopher Jamie Bishop, 35, 35 <laughs> from Pine Mountain, Georgia. And he was the German instructor. Brian Blum, 25, from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a graduate student um, in majoring in civil engineering. Austin Cloyd, 18, from Blacksburg, Virginia, who was a sophomore, majoring in international studies and French. Jocelyn Couture Nowak, 49, born in Montreal, Canada. She was the French instructor. Daniel Alejandro Perez Cueva, 21, from Woodbridge, Virginia. He was originally from Peru. He was a junior and uh, majored in international studies. Hmm. Dr. Kevin Granada, 46, from Toledo, Ohio, professor of engineering science and mechanics. Matt Gwaltney, 24, from Chesterfield, Virginia, graduate student and uh, majoring in civil and environmental engineering. Caitlin Hammerin, 19, Westtown, New York, sophomore, majoring international studies in French. Jeremy Herbstritt, 27, Belafonte, Pennsylvania, I believe that's how you say that, um, graduate student in uh, civil engineering. Rachel Hill, 18, from Richmond, Virginia. She was a freshman and majoring in biology. Jarrett Lane, 22, from Narrows, Virginia. He was a senior majoring in civil engineering. Matt Laporte, 20, Dumont, New Jersey, sophomore in political science was his major. Henry Lee, 20, Roanoke, Virginia, sophomore, computer engineering. Uh, was his major, Dr. Liviu Librescu, 75, from Romania, professor, engineering science and mechanics, and uh, that was the Romanian Holocaust survivor. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. have a few more. Dr. G.V. Loganathan, uh, 51, born in Chennai, India. 
um, professor, he was a professor in civil and environmental engineering, and he had actually been at Virginia Tech since 1981. Wow. The next one, Partahi, Partahi Memora Uh sorry, I know I messed that up, who's uh, 34 years old from Indonesia, doctoral student um, in civil engineering. Lauren McCain, 20, from Hampton, Virginia, freshman international studies. Daniel O'Neill, 22, Lafayette, Rhode Island, or Lafayette, um, graduate student, environmental engineering. Juan Ramon Ortiz, 26, from San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, graduate student, uh, civil engineering. Manal Panchal, 26, from Mumbai, India, graduate student um, in architecture. Aaron Peterson, 18, from Centralville, Virginia, freshman in international studies. Michael Pohl, 23, Flemington, New Jersey, senior in biological sciences. Uh, Julia Pride, 23, Middletown, New Jersey, a graduate student um, in biological systems engineering. Mary Karen Reed, 19, from Annandale, Virginia, freshman interdisciplinary studies. Uh, Rima Joseph Samaha, 18, from Centerville, Virginia, freshman um, in university studies. And he actually went to, or she went to uh, the same high school as Cho. So they actually knew each other. Okay. Um, Walid Mohammed Shalon, 32, from Zagazig, Egypt, is a doctoral student in civil engineering. Leslie G. Sherman, 20, of Springfield, Virginia, junior in history and international relations. Maxine Turner, 22, from Vienna, Virginia, senior in chemical engineering. And Nicole Regina White, 20, from Smithfield, Virginia, sophomore in international studies. And that is our victims. That is so many people. I mean, I know that when you say a number that high, like, you know, it, obviously it sounds like a lot of people. And then when you say everybody's name, I'm like, yeah. holy crap, it's a lot of people. That's a lot of fucking people. Oh, my that's God. That's so terrible. But yeah, um, that is the Virginia Tech shooting, everybody. Um, super sad, super, super duper awful. Um, I'm glad to finally be over and done with it. It was very depressing reading it. Uh huh. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. What are your sources? Oh, sources Wikipedia, Britannica, History.com, CNN. And um, the one where I got um, the 911 call is the irishexaminer.com. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yes, yes, yes. All right, well, that was terrible. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it. And I know I can't read. Don't judge me or, you know, come at me, bro. Like, that's all I can say. <laughs> I do it every time. They're clearly okay with it because they're still here. <laughs> <laughs> it's the accent the accent that I don't have that I think I have that I might have you know whatever <laughs> making like misreading things humanizes you so don't worry <laughs> everybody remember that okay when you jumble over your words um, anyways <laughs> um, if you want to find pictures from this episode you can find our Instagram at crash dress and crime if you want our alerts for when new episodes come out, you can find our Facebook at Crush, Dress, and Crime. If you want to, if you're a Twitter person like me, you can find our Twitter at Crush and Crime. <laughs> and um, our Patreon is at Crush, Dress, and Crime. And um, what did I forget? Um, oh, send us Gmail. A, yeah, send us a Gmail. Send us an email, guys. This is the new age. We'll actually, it'll actually pop up on our phones. So we'll see it like instantaneously. I'll see it immediately. Um, yeah. Right. So Gmail, and that is craftsdressandcrime at gmail.com. Um, hit us up. 
Yeah. Let us know how you feel. Yeah. And thank you guys for continuing to listen. Um, if you listen on Apple, please rate and review us. Um, if you do on yes. other platforms and there is an option to rate us, please do it there too. We just don't see them. Um, <laughs> Definitely. But. I know Apple, we've been getting some, uh, a bunch of rate. We've been getting some ratings and some reviews. So you guys keep it coming, please. We appreciate it. Yeah. And um, also those reviews are so nice. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize people are going to be so nice to us. <laughs> I know. Amazing. Like, I know we said no hate, but like. They're like uber nice. I, I love know. it. It's so sweet. You guys are so sweet. Um, anyways, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, until next time. Bye. Bye.